How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for healthcare professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Welcome back, everybody, and uh, I'm your host, Bhuket Tran. Welcome back to the podcast, How Is My Financial Health Doc podcast. Today, I have a treat for everyone, um, and I've been wanting to talk to uh, Galen for a long, long time. So let me introduce, this is uh, Mr. Galen Nuttall, and Galen is a CFP, a certified financial planner, and Galen has his own podcast as well, and we talk about the same thing. And in fact, his audience is the same audience as mine. So we're talking about physicians and professionals. So welcome, Galen, to the show. My background is in education. So I taught internationally for 10 years, and I have a master's in education. And then kind of turn of events of life, I ended up becoming a financial uh, planner. And so one of my biggest things is when I'm working with people, I take my educational background and I combine it with financial planning to make finances simple. So my YouTube channel is called Canadian Whiteboard Finance because I'm always using whiteboards to make things simple uh, because things can get pretty confusing with acronyms and everything. Um, and then the other thing that's probably important for people to know is that my dad's a physician. Uh, my dad is a now retired nephrologist. Um, grew up in the States, so I know the world's a little bit different down there, but I grew up watching my dad struggle to make good decisions around his money. Um, this you know, was a few years back, so it was the heyday of cold calling. So he'd get lots of cold calls from stockbrokers and people trying to sell him things and he would say to me like growing up that you know he didn't have the best business sense um so he 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 was concerned about whether he was making the right decisions around his investments or not or his planning so when i became a financial planner i decided hey if i can spend my career uh supporting people like my dad and helping them sleep better at night then i'm going to do it and i do that via fee based planning uh, that's a big part of how people work with me is um, fee for service. Not the only way, but it's a big part where we put together financial plans for physicians across Canada. I'm licensed pretty much not in every province, but I'm getting there because I do all my meetings online. So I'm getting there. Very good. Thank you. And um, so that's your YouTube channel. Your podcast is the same name? A podcast is called A Clean Bill of Wealth. Okay. Yeah. I, I urge every uh, listener who listens to my podcast to listen to uh, Galen's podcast as well. Obviously we talk about the same thing, but you know, he talks about um, things from his perspective as a planner and I talk about it from a physician's perspective. So you can get many, many different perspectives of the same thing. And, and I think that's a good thing. So uh, Galen, you are a financial planner now. Um, I've had many episodes talk about financial planners, but give us give us your your take on what a financial planner is, and what what does one do when when you're sitting in front of a client? What is your major role? Mm, yeah, that's a good good question. And um, yeah, and financial planner is a specific thing. You can only call yourself a financial planner if you have your certified financial planner designation, which I got a few years back. When it comes to the actual working with um, 
clients, I think the biggest thing is to um, really get a sense of like, what is most important to people. So when I first meet someone, that's really what I'm out to figure out is I'm not pulling out lots of charts and graphs or anything like that. I'm really getting at, you know, let's look into the future. Like if we sat down three years from today or 10 years from today or 30 years from today, and you looked back at your life, what would have to happen in your life that you'd feel like you made excellent progress in your life? And that's where I start. And then the answer to that question and many others is like the guiding compass, like the North star of the plan. Then we start collecting data and we start running scenarios and we start running, you know, uh, corporate planning is something that I spend the majority of my time doing um, because I find corporate planning really fascinating. It's like a puzzle. So I'm always trying to put all the pieces together. Um, so then, yeah, we look at the corporation, how to use it the most effective way possible. Um, and what other, what, what kinds of financial products can be held by the corporation or outside of the corporation. And then we take a look at, you know, is what the person if, if the doctor is already doing something when I meet them, is what they're already doing going to get them where they want to go? Or do they need to change some things to, to be successful in their, um, in their goal? Most people, like we've talked about in the past, most physicians I talk to, it's someday I want to flip a switch and stop working. So I want to create some version of a pension for myself in some way, shape or form, whether that be through investment properties or investing or uh, financial products like you're obviously well versed with, like the personal pension plan, the PPP. Um, and so, yeah, so then that, at the end of the day, that's that's what we figure out is like, are you on track? If so, keep going. And if not, what can we what can we uh, enhance around the plan? Okay, yeah. I mean, a lot of the work that you do is trying to achieve your client's goals and the planning. So one of the things that I've noticed in speaking with my colleagues, and it always end up being the same discussion, when I ask them, and when we talk about, you know, finances and personal finance and, and things like that, the first thing my colleagues will always tell me is, ah, oh, I've, I've got investment in this, and I've got investment in that, and I'm doing very well. Thank you, Vu. Let's stop it there. And so my sense of financial planning is not just about investment. Um, when you meet your clients, how do you address that? Because they'll always come to you and say, I've got, I've got this stock, I've got that stock, I've got this ETF, but really the discussion is not about that, is it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So that's a really great point. So a lot of times, depending on where I meet people in their career, um, if I'm starting with someone right as they leave residency and they start practice, it's a different conversation than I'm when I'm working with a physician who's mid-career and maybe they're on their, you know, some mid-career some mid physicians, I'm like their third financial planner because they've tried different planners and they just haven't really been satisfied. Then they meet me and we end up working together. Um, so what I will say is that when I meet those mid-career physicians that have already done some things, a lot of times it's like... Um, like, I mean, it is like a puzzle and like the pieces are either disjointed or they're like, they don't quite fit together quite right. Like they've kind of grabbed things along the way. And at the end of the day, that's what I was like before I became a planner. Like I read a lot of books. I was self-taught. Like I was listening to, um, well, we didn't really have podcasts back then. I'm talking about like 10 plus years when podcasts were just starting, but it was more of like books that I was reading. And then I thought, oh, I've read this book and it told me I should do this thing. So I'm going to do it. And then I'd read another book and I'd do it. So it's kind of like just chucking stuff in a kind of like the kitchen junk drawers, what I talk about. Like when I meet people, sometimes it's just that drawer full of stuff and they're not quite sure where it fits. Um, and the other thing I'll say is that when I talk about planning, I oftentimes use the analogy of a tree. So there's the investing side, which is like we put like when I think of goals of a client like retirement, that's the leaves on the tip of the tree of the branches of the tree. And as I'm working together with them and supporting them and they're investing, they're growing that tree towards that goal. And 
But what's equally important is roots to that tree, because just like a tree without good roots can get blown over in a storm, a good financial plan can be completely destroyed by an unexpected event like illness, injury, or death. And I see it a lot when I meet people where they have, I've met people, I meet people all the time who have hundreds of thousands of dollars saved, but if they were to become injured or, or sick or pass away, their family would be ruined financially. Like that, that hundreds of thousands of dollars would get burnt through pretty quickly to try to maintain any semblance of the lifestyle that they had before the event occurred. So I'm a really big fan and I practice what I preach. If I ever showed anyone my financial plan, I have the roots, like really good roots in my plan. Um, uh, so yeah, so I'm a big fan of having those roots such that if anything does go wrong, we don't have to like, you don't have to cash out your savings or you don't have to like rip through your investments. You can actually just keep those intact while you deal with whatever's occurred in your life. That, that is, um, that is an amazing analogy. If you don't mind, I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> so I talk about two times, two times, and then it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I talk about the pyramid uh, mm. of financial planning. I talk about the orders of operation, but the, the, the analogy of the tree and the root makes absolutely total sense to me. Thank you for sharing that. So yeah, for sure. that is a great segue into what I wanted to ask you because, and I think you've answered it. There are two things that for me is crucial to that planning. One is risk mitigation, as you've mentioned, solidify the, the foundation, have good roots. And two, as it pertains to high-income earners, and physicians are definitely high-income earners, the aspect of tax planning. Mm -hmm. So how do you, um, what do you do with your clients? How do you emphasize? What do you focus first? Uh, how do you go about it when you have those discussions? Absolutely. So yeah, tax planning is a huge part of what I do. And part of the reason, so it's pretty interesting. Like if I were to go out and ask people, what do you think I do? A lot of people might think that I try to predict the markets, which I don't do ever <laughs> because no one can consistently predict the markets. And even when I was a kid and I would watch movies about people who were like more like stockbrokers, like people yelling at those ticker tapes at the New York Stock Exchange, like all oh, those guys are geniuses. They can predict what's going to happen. And then you grow up and find out if you read enough and you listen to the people like Warren Buffett, you know, one of the best modern day investors, he says, no one can predict the market. So my job is not to predict the market. I have a very, um, I have a lot of confidence in what the market is going to do over the long run, which is up, go up. Um, so I, I support my clients and getting them into portfolios that make sense. Um, but the portfolio that I'm putting people into, it's just as important to look at the tax implications, especially when it comes to the corporation, because as people may know, a corporation does not, when it comes to a corporation holding investments, it does not have preferential tax treatment. So if you're not careful, like if you own, like, a, 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 if you own an a, a investment inside of a corporation that's generating income, like a GIC, you're going to lose half that growth to taxes, like just right off the bat. And so a corporation is not inherently a tax efficient vehicle. So we have to look at vehicles that a corporation can hold that are tax efficient. And the reason why I talked about, I don't spend time predicting the future. Um, the, the inverse of that is what can we do to control the known? And taxes are a fairly known thing. Like we know what our taxes are going to be. Like if I take X, if I take a dollar out of my corporation, I know that I'm going to have to send X back to the government. If I, if my corporation earns X, I know that this much is going to go. So with those known things, um, I'm a big fan of doing what we can to mitigate, like not avoid, like no, nothing we do is in any way, shape or form. Like everything we do is what we call a CRA green light strategy. It's all completely above board for the CRA. 
but there's just things like at the end of the day, I get why we pay taxes in Canada. Like, so I get it. I get why. So, and my clients are very, most of my clients say, Galen, I get why we have to pay our fair share, but I don't believe in paying voluntary taxes. Like anything above the fair share, in my opinion, is you're volunteering your extra tax dollars to the government. And instead of doing that, you could give it to charity because then at least you'd have something, some say as to how it's spent. So I spend quite a bit of time with corporate tax planning strategies to make sure that we're making the most of available above board instruments for saving taxes in a corporation. For me, uh, risk mitigation. How how do you how do you approach that? How how big of uh, importance is that for you and your clients? Yeah, it's very big. So just that that same tree analogy is exactly what I go through when I meet with my clients. I talk, I, I draw the tree, I draw the roots, <laughs> and we start talking about. Look, um, just to use life insurance as an example, um, I would say, you know, if you had passed away yesterday, who would be financially impacted today, and to what extent? And what would you like them to be able to do financially? And then we come up with whatever number is going to solve that problem. Or if I have a younger um, physician who maybe they don't have a family yet, maybe they don't have a mortgage yet. I say, let's just fast forward a few years. What might it look like? Like a lot of my clients, when they're residents, they, and, they, and, they, and I, they answer that question, they're like, well, it's kind of just me. If they're not married yet and they don't have kids, they don't have a house. They're like, it's, I don't really think I need life insurance. I say, well, I've worked with enough people to know that if we fast forward five or six years, and now you have a mortgage, which right now, can anybody get a mortgage in a big city for less than like a million dollars? Like a million dollar mortgage is very common right now. Um, would you want to be able to replace your income? Would you want your kids to still be able to go to university? Would you want your spouse to, to have to take on a second job? So I asked that question, like, you know, it's not necessarily a fun thing to think about, but it's important is, you know, what would you want to protect against? And then let, let's put that in place. So I asked that question for passing away, for illness and for injury. So most of my clients, when I meet them, they already have disability and it's usually pretty good. I rarely change anything about disability insurance. Like doctors, the vast majority, when I meet them already have it, they bought it in med school. They, someone bought them a lunch. They bought their disability policy. Sometimes we need to tweak it a bit, but it's usually pretty good, but not every, not most of them, most people don't necessarily also have critical illness, which is to protect against a major illness of an insurance product that was actually created by a physician, Dr. Marius Bernard who was a specialist in heart uh, surgery in South Africa, he was saving lives uh, by this, this uh, I think it was heart transplant, if I'm not mistaken. He was saving lives, but his patients were saying, you saved my life, but my family's in financial ruin because I can't go back to work the way I used to. If I had died, they would have at least gotten my life insurance, but you saved my life and you ruined me financially. And he said, this isn't fun. <laughs> like, why is the, so he went to the insurance companies. He said, you guys need to come up with something that's going to solve this problem. Uh, so that's critical illness insurance, which a lot of people, I mean, maybe they have like kind of like what's available through their um, governing body or whatever, but a lot of them, it's not quite enough to take care of the problem that would occur if they, if they became ill. Right. So that, that is a, actually a great segue into my next question and, and you've answered it. Um, what is the importance and, and I, the answer is yes, it's important, but give, give me a sense and give us a sense of the level of importance uh, insurance plays in your planning. Yeah, very important. Um, I figure, I, I think of insurance, as, I think of planning as it's a coin with two sides. One side is the investing, one side is the insurance. And in some cases they overlap a bit. 
um, you know, certain types of insurance can also have an investment component. So they do overlap, but it's critical for me. Like I, I won't take on a client that doesn't have disability insurance. Like I simply won't do it because um, if they get hurt and their income dries up, what was the point in saving all that money? Like it will literally disappear. Like unless, sorry, a, a caveat to that is if I meet someone who cannot qualify for disability insurance, that's different. But for people who who can qualify and just don't have it, I really don't like working with that because it's it's just too much of a risk. Um, and I've seen it happen. Like a lot of advisors don't like touching disability insurance because it's it takes a while. It's a bit of a complicated product, you know, da da da. But I'm like, no, like, and so it's part of why I like working with doctors in part is almost all of them already have it when they meet me. And it's one of the harder ones for non physicians to wrap their heads around. Like, physicians, I feel, are fairly well, either they buy it just because everyone's buying it or they buy it because they really do realize that their ability to earn an income is the most important, most valuable thing that they have like in their lives. So it's, it's, it's critically important for me to look at the risk as well, uh, risk side of the plan. Right. Like you'd, you'd be surprised how many of my colleagues uh, and physicians don't have disability insurance. It, it still boggles my mind. So I'm mm. at least glad to mm. hear that the vast majority of your clients have some sort some form of disability insurance, but I still have people coming to me and say, I don't, I don't want any, I don't buy any. And uh, we end up in a scenario where if something bad does happen, it will clean out their life savings uh, very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and I, um, and I just think like, what's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you give a lot of, you give us a lot of credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, maybe I'm just lucky in the people I work with, but I'm, yeah, I've met. I just don't meet doctors that don't tend to have it. Maybe that's, they're just the kind that are more likely to talk to a financial planner. I don't know, but yeah, I, I do know there's, there's, there's debates out there of like, do we need a disability insurance? Do we not need it? Do we need own occupation? Do we need it? You know, I, I get that there's a debate out there, but I mean, to try to self-insure like the way the analogy I use is imagine you, imagine you've a car that's a 200 car. Like, would you buy uh, insurance for that car? Like such that if it got totaled or if it got stolen, an insurance company would replace it. Or would you just try to save up another $200,000? Like, I think everyone would say, I think. It's like, now imagine that every year you open the glove box of that car and out falls $300,000. And it's going to do that for five years. Now, would you insure that car? And would you insure it for a lot? Because if someone steals that car, they're to the box with them. I think most people would say yes. Well, that's a physician. Like a physician spends approximately $200,000 becoming a physician, more sometimes. They're going to get approximately $300,000 falling out of that glove box every year. So like, I think most people wouldn't think twice about insuring that car. But when it comes to themselves, it's, it's almost like it's a, different, um, it's a different mindset. So it, it does boggle my mind a little bit when people don't take on that, that insurance. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny because the word self-insured gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it gets thrown around a lot. Uh, but for most people who throw that word around, they throw it around like a like a rag, but they don't understand what that really means. Because once someone is disabled, whatever saving they had, whatever self-insured they have, they will clean it and burn it very quickly. And then there's nothing left for retirement. And they don't understand the impact of that because 
retirement seems so far away. It's mm -hmm. 20, 30 years down the road when I'll be 65. But wait a minute, I'm only 40. You know, that's still 25 years from now. And people mm -hmm. can't, wrap, can't wrap their mind around that. And so being self-insured means, yeah, I've got in, enough money to last me another year or two. But by doing right. so, you're going to raid your entire investment and then there's nothing left for your future self. But I, I don't think people really truly understand that until it happens. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Like maybe people are just playing the odds or they think it's only I'm only going to be hurt for a couple of years. And, in, and disability insurance isn't that expensive. I mean, it's not like it's nothing, but I mean, the, the percentage that you have to put away to then protect a whole huge chunk of your income is actually relatively low. And especially for physicians, like there are some professions out there where it's way worse and companies are always trying to get physicians to get disability insurance. Like I get emails every couple months. Hey, this company has a deal on physician disability. Now this company has a deal. So anyways, I won't beat a dead horse, but you know, I, I'm a big believer in disability insurance. Right. So now let's, this is also a great segue to talk about um, controversies. Um, and what do I mean? Okay. So when you're talking about insurances and uh, risk mitigation and building that foundation for your clients, that financial foundation, the topic of insurance would necessarily come in. Uh, and I'm a big believer of insurance and transferring the risk to another carrier as opposed to putting taking on that risk on my own. But we know that there's a lot of people out there, including physicians, who don't have the same mindset. So there's a lot of debate between, you know, disability insurance, not disability insurance. There's also a debate between, you know, invest in term, sorry, buy term insurance and invest the rest versus whole life insurance. So I'm sure you've come across those type of discussions. So there's a lot of controversies and myths out there. What do you say about that? What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly, you know, I, um, I commonly refer to whole life insurance as the most polarizing topic in financial planning, especially among physicians. Like I see a lot of polarization where some people love it and some people hate it. Um, and really like what I want to do is just like, like I mentioned this to a friend the other day, who's neither a planner nor a physician. And he's like, Galen, why is this such a polarizing thing? Like how come there isn't just like one thing that helps everyone see it for what it is, whether it's, pro or con? Like, how come there's this divide? And the, what I realized was, and I realized it was, I was reading my kids a, um, a fable. And the fable is about uh, a group of blind men that are going down a path and they bump into an object. And each one of them is feeling the object. And one of them says, uh, what we've come across is a rope because I feel something that's kind of long, skinny. I think it's a rope. And then someone says, no. Well, the other one says, no, I think we've come across a snake. I'm feeling this very muscly kind of thing that's moving. And another one says, no, this is a tree because I feel this very hard thing and it's got like bark on it. And in fact, they were coming across an elephant. And each one of them was touching a different part of the element, the elephant, the one who thought it was a rope was touching the tail, the one who thought it was a snake was touching the trunk and so on. And I realized that that's why whole life insurance can be so polarizing is because people will pick one part of it and say, this is what it is. And other people will pick one part of it and say, this is what it is. But when you look at it in its entirety, you can actually decide, is this something I want to get or is this not something I want to get? And I think that's where people are kind of, where a lot of doctors are left and confused. And a lot of doctors are confused because I've done a survey on it. And over 50% of a hundred doctors that I surveyed said that they were confused about financial planning. Um, and I've seen another study that also supports that. Um, 
I don't think it helps physicians to have people really like polarizing topics because I think it's, it's, it makes it harder for them. But what I'll say is that I'll give an example. So when I talk about whole life insurance, I say it's kind of like the Swiss army knife of financial products. Like it does a lot of things at once. So if someone tries to pigeonhole it as a pure investment, it's probably like if someone's, so you'll hear people say, buy a term and invest the rest. And the reason they'll say that is because they'll say, okay, whole life insurance is giving an X rate of return. I can get a higher rate of return in the market. And I would say that is true. I have portfolios that would outperform the rate of return on whole life, uh, whole life insurance, but it has a place because to compare whole life insurance to like uh, a pure equity portfolio isn't a fair comparison because whole life insurance has benefits like a guaranteed component of growth, a dividend component of growth, vested growth when a policy, when you're part of a participating whole life policy grows, it can't be scaled back. Like you can't watch that value drop. You can borrow against it. It can grow tax deferred inside of a corporation. It can pay out a, de- a tax-free benefit to your um, loved ones. Like, so when you all, when people say, oh, I'm just going to compare it to an equity investment, they're only looking at the tail and calling it a rope. Like they're not looking at the whole thing. So to put it to the end, to, to an end is like, unless someone's looking at every feature that it has, they're not looking at what it truly really is. That that is also another good analogy uh, of the mindset of people out there. Um, and it's funny you talk about the fable of the of the blind because really it's it's in some way it's the blind leading the blind out there. Uh, and I say this, you know, sort of tongue and cheek and tongue, sorry, tongue and cheek, uh, because the people who are against whole life or people who are against term insurance, or people who are against insurance period, most of the time is they don't understand the product that they're bashing against. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some something like a whole life, which is a Swiss army knife, is probably what you want in certain scenario. Uh, and a term insurance is probably what you want in a different scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for, for people to be that categoric about an idea, a product, a service, it shows to me that most of the time is because they don't truly understand it. And so yeah. there's a lot of myths and misinformation out there for sure. Yeah. And one thing that I, and absolutely, like it, it just like you said, like sometimes whole life makes sense. Sometimes term makes sense. You know, it, it all has its different spot. And the other thing I forgot to mention is that another reason it's so polarizing is because so much of the information Canadian physicians get is from the States. So I actually was born in the States. I actually have three passports, um, but I was born in the States. I grew up in the, I grew up there. I moved to South America for a while. Then I came to Canada uh, and it's a whole different ballgame down there. So like I was in a forum for physicians in, in, in the United States and there was a thing about whole life insurance and it was getting bashed, 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 bashed. And I remember I was reading it and I started thinking, these aren't, these are smart people. I was like, how come, how come they're bashing this and like saying things? And then I saw one phrase that just made me see that it's a whole different world down there. And in this forum, someone said, because most doctors won't owe any taxes when they die. And that hit me like a brick. Cause I was like, that is not Canada at all. Like, so just to be like super clear here, if someone's main way of retiring is an RRSP, just as an example, 
and someone passes away with a million dollars inside of their RRSP and they don't have a spouse that can take it over, they are going to send probably half of it to taxes. And that kind of thing doesn't seem to happen. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, expert in United States planning, but I read up on it a little bit. And so like in, in Canada, like you will send easily half of your estate to the CRA if you're not careful. Like it's, it, it can easily happen. In the States, it doesn't seem like that can happen quite so easily. So when I read that line, I just remember like this wave of relief coming over me. Like it's a totally different ballgame down there. And don't get me started on capital gains. That's a whole different ballgame down there. So if anyone ever says, oh, even for estate planning, it doesn't work, like that's categorically incorrect. Um, so that's what I would say is if your information is coming from the States, or coming from someone who is heavily influenced by a financial guru in the States, it's a different world. Like it's like Timbits and Dunkin' Donuts. It is a different world. Um, I could not agree more with you. I actually have an episode called uh, you, you should know who you're listening to, um, which mm-hmm. gurus you're listening to. And I had a whole episode on the differences between Canada and the U S to this very important point. I urge the listeners to listen to my podcast episode number 47. Listening to financial gurus on podcasts may be detrimental to your financial wellness. And this is the point that I'm trying to make. Make sure that you are listening to gurus who are talking about things that apply to you in your context, in your environment. You know, if you if you listen, if you think about the gurus, the financial gurus in the US, you've got the famous ones, right? The the Dave Ramsey's of the world, the Suze Osmonds of the world. And you've recent, even got this uh, eMERGE doc down in the US that uh, wears a certain coat with a certain color that, uh, that also gives you financial advice. Um, but I think us Canadians up here who listen to that forget a few things. One, most Canadian doctors are contracted, independent contractors to the government. We're not employees. Whereas most American physicians are employees, that 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 status has a huge tax implication. Mm-hmm. The second thing is they can write off the interest of their mortgage on their primary residence. Mm-hmm. We can't do that. Uh, they have a lot of real estate laws that are so favorable to investment in real estate that we don't have up here. Yeah. Um, they also, as you say, I mean, I'm not sure that physicians pay no tax at time of death, but they do have something like 20 million of, of money that they can leave behind toward their estate without being taxed. Uh, I think it's something like 20 million per individual. Um, whereas in Canada, if I leave a dollar, 53 cents has gone to the government. Pretty much. And so the tax structure is so different and the implications are so different that when we listen to those gurus down in the US, we don't actually differentiate, does it even apply to me? You know, it's very funny that when we when we talk about finance, physicians don't ask themselves that question, does it even apply to me? Mm. But, but we do this all the time though. We look at an article, uh, a medical article, okay? We'll dissect it. Uh, we'll say, well, this, this population is, uh, it's a male population, 65 years old with heart disease, and we should use XYZ drugs to reduce the you know, relative risk of dying from this disease and blah, blah, blah. And then someone in the room will say, wait a minute, this doesn't apply to Hispanics. This doesn't apply to Chinese. This doesn't apply to Canadian because the study was done in Denmark. So we'll take that article and we'll dissect it and we'll bash it to death. 
because it doesn't apply to us. But yet we're sitting here listening to these American gurus and think that it applies to us. And so it's yeah. very funny that we do that in medicine, but we don't do that in our own personal life. It's, it's very, very interesting mm -hmm. how that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think a lot of it just comes from, I think what I find, and I had a, I had a conversation with a physician yesterday and I find that people, what I think is that one of the things around financial planning is I think that the perception is for a lot of physicians is everyone else has it figured out. Like I, they go into these forums, they go into these Facebook groups or whatever, and they feel like everyone else has it figured out and they should be able to figure it out too. And I'd say that if someone doesn't have a passion for figuring this stuff out, they probably shouldn't bother. <laughs> like, I mean, you should be educated. Like, don't get me wrong. Listen, obviously listen to your podcast. There's a lot of great Canadian podcasts by physicians coming out. Um, get educated for sure. But like, unless it's a real passion, the average, I, th I would, I would say over half, like from my survey, over half of physicians, like they don't necessarily want to figure it all out their own, but they also mistrust the industry I'm in. And whole life insurance is a great example of this. Um, if, I know lots of people would listen to this episode and say, yeah, of course, Galen loves whole life insurance. He gets paid so well on it. I own a lot of it um, myself, like, and I will gladly show some of the illustrations of the policies I've bought for myself. And I didn't buy them because just because I got paid on it, that would be ridiculous. So there's a lot of mistrust of the industry that could potentially be supporting physicians a bit more than they currently are. So I do actually have a lot of, um, I do, I do, um, I do feel for physicians who are in that spot of, I want to work with someone. I want to know who to trust, but I'm also hearing from a lot of people that I, I can't trust anyone in this industry because they're all just out to make a buck, you know, so on and so forth. So I, th and I think it's all kind of bundled together where maybe it's just easier to say, Hey, this guru knows what he's talking about. I'm just going to listen to him. Even if, it's an American. And even if it doesn't apply to Canada, like at all, I think, I think you, you hit it on the nail. There's a lot of mistrust, uh, from our community towards the financial industry. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I believe, you know, after so many years of practicing medicine and seeing all sorts of industries, I could probably say that the, the medical community high is probably the highest ethical standard, mm. uh, simply because of the, you know, Hippocratic oath, and what we do for for patients and society and it's the financial industry doesn't have the same rigor right uh it's coming there yeah. with fiduciary duty and your cfp designation and your clu designation and and that you know that path towards fiduciary duty but it's it's still not where where it is supposed to be and so i i truly understand why that is why there is such mistrust of the financial industry. It's, it's very, very logical. Yeah, I agree completely. And I mean, I do see that. I, and I think it's fascinating that, um, yeah, I agree. Like there's not that same rigor around uh, standard of care, fiduciary duty. And I mean, I'll very quick personal story. So when I, when I, so I was a teacher, we moved to Canada, there were no teaching jobs. And so I made a career change to a financial advisor and a friend of mine who trusted me enough to, I had the keys to their house, like in my house, because they said, Galen, if we're ever out of town and there's an emergency and you need to come and like close a water valve, here's the key to our house, right? Like that's the level of trust. And then when I told them I was becoming a financial advisor, they just shook their head and they said, oh, Galen, I can't believe you're going to become a sleazy salesman. And, I, <laughs> and it hit me hard. Like it yep. hit me really hard because I was like, this is a friend that trusts me enough to have the key to their house in my house house permanently yeah but they think that just because i'm going to become a financial advisor i'm going to become an unethical human being and it's like 
I can still take my ethical like nature <laughs> and apply it to this industry. Like, so, and I, and I agree. And so, but then I also look at it and it's like, okay, well then where do you, where do you, where does it end? You know, like, is my, is my mechanic unethical? Is my, is my lawyer unethical? Is my dentist unethical? Is everyone that I know out there in the world that could technically make more money by, by, um, by um, recommending one course of action versus a different course of action are all of them purely financially motivated. You know, like, is my dentist only telling me to do this so he can make a few more bucks? Is the surgeon that recommended I get my appendix out instead of doing antibiotics? Did they do it? Because they, and I know I'm maybe I'm walking on thin ice by bringing a doctor into the mix, <laughs> but when I got appendicitis a few years ago and I went to the doctor and she said, Galen, um, I assumed I was gonna have to get my appendix out. Cause I'm like, that's what you do. Right. When you get appendicitis, yeah, the doctor yeah. surgeon came to me and she said, Hey Galen, you know what? There's some studies that show that it's treated really well with, um, antibiotics. And my, my brother-in-law, who's a surgeon, said, don't do that. Get your appendix out. But anyways, the, my surgeon said, let's try antibiotics. And I said, sure. And I called my dad, who's a doctor. And I said, look, this is what's happening. And he said, well, you know what? He's like, I bet your surgeon would make more money if you did the surgery. So the fact that she's telling you to do the antibiotic route, like maybe that's a good sign. And I, it left me wondering, like, anyways, I didn't overthink it too much. I did the antibiotics. I haven't had any problems since then. Um, but anyways, that's just what I was getting at was there's a lot of people out there in the world that can technically make more money by recommending one course of action than another. So, and I, and, and you're right. Like, I feel like in the financial planning industry, there hasn't been a lot of transparency on how financial planners get paid. There hasn't been a lot of transparency on, you know, commissions, trailers, fees that's coming. And I, and I, I openly, I openly tell everyone, like, I will tell you exactly what I'm going to get paid on what I do. And it's actually quite easy when I do fee-based planning, because people are actually, writing a check. So it's very transparent how much I'm getting paid. But if insurance or investments or whatever it is, I say, this is exactly what I'm going to get paid for doing this. And that's it. Like that, this is what the market pays people like me for doing my job. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely lots of myths, lots of mistrust, lots of miscommunication. And I would say also a lot of ignorance uh, and mostly ignorance from from our community because we don't deal with this on a daily basis, right? Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day, we're doctors, we're treating your appendix, right? Or we're operating on your appendix. We're not there talking about goal setting and how do you plan for retirement? If, if we did that, we'd do your job, but we're not. And so at the end of the day, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And unfortunately, unfortunately, there is a lot of the blind leading the blind. And I think it's important for us to get proper ed education and, and information. To a certain extent, if we're, if we're engaging you or your colleagues, people who have a CFP, who has the highest standard of fiduciary duty, it wouldn't be different than me going to my cardiologist and trusting my cardiologist of the recommendation that he or she will make in regards to my heart health. And so that's how I see where your industry is moving towards right now. And it's going to get there. It's going to get yeah. there. It, it just takes time. The interview with Galen was very long. So I'm going to chop off part one over here. And so please join me next time for part two with my interview with Galen Natal. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.
Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.